1: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is Ashley Kerr. This
2: is Tony J. Robinson, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: My partner. It was a term bandied around for about five years. I just quit my job as an employed physician and had all the medical knowledge I needed, but I had no idea how to run a business. So I joined with Bought into a pre-existing practice of another physician. He taught me about the business, and I provided him the opportunity to double the practice's patient care revenue. We made a lot of money, but it wasn't always easy. We fundamentally differed on many issues, such as the role of debt in building a business. Eventually, after five years, I knew it was time to leave. It was not just the differences, but also the fact that I had changed, evolved. I wanted different things than I did five years earlier. Disentanglement was anything but smooth, but we made it through. And years later, I have no doubt that like a rocket, partnership propelled me forward rapidly in my financial trajectory. Well, today on Earn and Invest, we talk about partnerships in this case real estate partnerships but i believe the conversation extends to businesses of all kinds and we ask the all important question is being on your own holding you back tony j robinson and ashley care are co-hosts of the bigger pockets real estate rookie podcast which gets over 700,000 downloads a month Their new book, Real Estate Partnerships, Unlock the Unlimited Potential of Real Estate Investing by Finding the Right Partnerships to Fuel Your Success, was available for pre-order as of August 10th. Tony and Ashley, welcome to Earn and Invest. Tony, tell me, you have now been in the real estate game for a while. You also have your own podcast. Tell me about the most horrendous real estate partnership gone bad story that you've ever heard.
2: Oh man! Well, first, Jordan, thank you for having me, brother. But you're you're starting off with the with the big big questions there. You know, here's what I'll say, man: is that for me personally, most of my partnerships have been pretty solid. But I I think that's the case because we have applied a lot of those. I think tougher conversations up front and I've ended, you know, quote unquote, ended some partnerships before they started. And I think that's the mistake that most people make when they're getting into partnerships is that they're so gung ho about, Hey, I think I I found this right person, but they don't do enough time to make sure that alignment is there. They, they don't spend enough time to make sure that they've, they've answered all those tough questions up front. So for me personally, I have had a partnership in, but it wasn't a nightmare situation by any means. It was a very amicable, like, Hey, we're, we're going in different directions now. So, man, I, I wish I could tell you a, a horror story,
1: but, you know, mine have been pretty good. Ashley, back us up here. You've got to have a horror story to tell us. A partnership disaster, either yours or someone you've heard of.
0: Yeah, I can give of somebody that i worked with directly where I've, I've seen this in a couple instances where people purchase a business and they partner with their spouse. And maybe it's investing in real estate or a business in general. And I worked with this investor who went through a divorce. And the ending of that, the divorce was awful, of course, for the family separating their marital assets. But it was really, really tough on the businesses. And if this would have been two individual people that were friends, business partners had an actual operating agreement, they had you know, alignment meetings, they had conversations. I think sometimes when people think they're married to someone that a lot of that professionalism and just like running it like a business, like your business partners instead of husband and wife kind of goes out the window. So that's where I've seen it actually be the most detrimental is when a partnership goes bad, when it's a husband and wife and they are divorcing and separating because They don't put in all of these exit strategies for the business because they're like, oh, we're married. Everything is wonderful and great. We aren't at risk of, you know, one of us not wanting to do this anymore because it's benefiting both of us or whatever the case may be. So I would say, like, if you are partnering with your spouse, I think doing that in a, you know, a very I don't know what the word is, but you're going to do it to make sure that it's like you're investing with a stranger. You want to put the same kind of systems and policies in place and have the same kind of contract that you would if this person was a stranger. And not only did it hurt each person when going through the divorce for these businesses, but also it hurt the businesses, the the employees suffered at some extent because of this, because there was no plan in place. And their divorce actually ended up taking, I believe, four years from start to finish. And the majority of that was caused by the businesses and trying to separate that partnership.
1: Tony, we're going to talk more about real estate partnerships in your book. But before we do, tell us how you got into real estate in the first place.
2: Most people graduated from college, started climbing the the corporate ladder you know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that I had a, a parent in my ear that said, You know, son, if you want to not have to get up and go to work every day, at some point, you need some sort of passive income. And and uh, it was my dad who said that real estate was a, a good path to explore. So, pretty much as soon as I had enough money he saved up for my day job, I, I bought my first property, it was a, a long term rental out in Louisiana. And we were just kind of off to the races from there. We've since transitioned to mostly short term. So, all of our portfolio now is short term. But yeah, we've got about 30 properties across the country and looking to get a few more here.
1: Ashley, tell me about your real estate portfolio and tell me about when you decided to get into the middle of your first partnership.
0: Yeah, my first deal was actually a partnership. I didn't have the capital to purchase a property. I had the limited mindset that you had to have capital to purchase a property I didn't know about creative financing or going even, I didn't even think you could go to a bank and get a loan on a property. So I actually partnered with one of my childhood friends. He brought all the capital and I was working as at the time as a property manager. So I brought the experience and I found us a duplex and we went into it. And his dad was also an investor. So we kind of modeled things after what his dad had done. So we created an LLC with a partnership agreement and built it out kind of that way. And then we have bought in several properties together throughout the years. But that was my first one. And my portfolio is mostly long-term buy-and-holds with some short-term rentals mixed in there.
1: Tony, we're going to get into the different types of partnerships and why to get into a partnership in the first place. Mm. But first, break it down for me. Are real estate partnerships different than other business partnerships? And if so, why?
2: a so that's a great question. I, I think obviously there there are nuances with real estate investing, but I think there are some I don't know, like eternal truths I guess that that apply regardless of what type of partnership it is. And there are things you know that that we say are important for a real estate partnership that you can apply. So for example, strong communication between partners, I think is incredibly important no matter what type of business you're in. Alignment on your goals, like where the heck is this partnership supposed to be going? Incredibly important, no matter what type of partnership that, that you guys have. Clearly identifying roles and responsibilities so you're not getting in each other's way or, or, you know, doing double work. Incredibly important, no matter what type of partnership that, that you're looking at starting. So there are foundational pieces within the book, but I think they apply to all types of partnerships. But like I said, I, I think the one that most people get wrong, Jordan, especially in, in the beginning, is the fact that they don't clearly defined who's doing what and they don't have those tough conversations up front so like what Ashley said about like the husband and wife duo where a lot of their problems came because they didn't they didn't anticipate this partnership maybe not working out long term. and I think that's where most people kind of get into trouble.
1: Ashley, you mentioned this idea at least that you partnership on your first deal and part of the reason is you just didn't have the capital. Talk about some good reasons why people should look to partnership in real estate. Because I know, for instance, when I went into real estate, it never even occurred to me to think to bring in a third party. So, of course, my wife and I did it together. But it, you know, I didn't think, hey, I should bring someone else in. And my suspicion is if I needed more capital than I had, my thought would have been, you're not ready to do this yet. Why was I wrong?
0: So, I think there is pieces of the puzzle that you can be missing when it comes to purchasing an investment property. And one of those is money and bringing money to the table, having cash reserves or having money to do rehab. The next thing is time. Maybe you are busy at your corporate W-2 job and you don't have time, but maybe you have the money to invest in real estate. Um, and then another is the experience or the knowledge you have no idea how to even start investing in real estate. So that's maybe you have the money, you have the time. And then so you find somebody who is knowledgeable and you invest with them. There's also the... This was another reason why I took on a partner is that I wanted... I needed more courage. And I had this fear that... You know, I'd buy the property, the roof would blow off, and I'd have to replace a roof day two of owning the property, or a tenant would fall down the stairs and sue me, and I'd have to sell my house. (laughs) And all these worst case scenarios went through my brain. So I think there's different elements as to why you could want a a partner and that kind of that fear element is almost like a security blanket.
2: I I just wanna I wanna add on to that because you said something. That, you know, if I don't have the cash and I'm quote unquote, not ready to do this yet. And I think that's a, a major limiting belief for a lot of new investors. And, you know, Ash and I, we co-host the Rookie the Podcast. We get to talk to a lot of new investors by doing that show. We hear a lot of themes and what they say, and a lot of people mimic that same mindset. But as Ash was saying, the, the capital is only one piece of being a successful real estate investor. And there are plenty of people who have the capital, but would do a terrible job if you gave them even the world's best deal. Whereas Ashley, you know, in that first partnership that she had, she had the property management experience, which is probably more important than the capital. So I think for the people that are listening, one of the questions you have to ask yourself is uh, not necessarily do I have the capital, but if I look at the entire piece of... you know The, the entire puzzle, I should say, which pieces do I have and which pieces am I missing? And the goal isn't okay, let me wait until I have all the pieces of the puzzle. The the idea is that let me identify the pieces that I have and then leverage partnerships to fill in the rest of the, the pieces that I'm missing.
0: Yeah. If you look at different investors such as Pace Morby and, and several other ones, you'll hear them talk about as to, you know, have you ever completely done something all by yourself? You've accomplished something with no help from anyone else. And really, there there probably isn't something that you can think of. You go to nationals and you win the 100-meter dash. You probably have coaches. You probably have parents pushing you. You probably have all these different elements of training that have helped you get to where you are today. And the same goes with real estate or any business in general. The more you can leverage other people... Ryan Pinedo will talk about how he, when he invests in a new business or starts a new company, he is only coming on as almost like a silent partner in a sense. Like maybe he's bringing some capital or he's bringing his following, but he is going to partner with somebody who's already accelerated and experienced in what that business is, and they're gonna they're gonna run it, and they're going to be kind of the brains off of it. Because he doesn't want to go and learn something new, he's really good at what he's doing now, and that's his advantage, and that's what he brings to the table. So I think there's so many different aspects of partnering with people, and it does like slow you down to actually go and try and figure everything out by yourself too.
2: Yeah, Ashley, you bring up like a super important point. Like as as my businesses have grown. I'm trying to do less, right? and i'm I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to really just focus on the piece of my business that I'm uniquely qualified to do. And I'm trying to find other people to fulfill all these other roles. Now, when you're first starting out, a lot of times you do have to wear many hats inside of your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, I think the goal should be to solely ship away that that eighty percent and really just focus on your twenty percent that's going to have the the biggest impact on on the business that you're building.
0: And that's okay. like a, a fine line of what to outsource as to have employees or subcontractors as to who to partner with. So as you're growing your business, that's where you need to, to look at what, okay, what do I need? I need someone for this position. Is this better for me to go and partner with someone? So maybe, for example, um, you need to raise capital for a property. Are you going to go and hire somebody to help you, you know, do sales calls for you, help you raise money? Or are you going to go and partner with some kind of maybe an influencer, for sense in the real estate realm, and give them some kind of equity, for, you know, in return, bringing investors to your deal? So that's another thing as you're growing and scaling, as you think about what are the benefits, the pros and cons of hiring someone to do this task or partnering with someone to take on that role too.
1: Tony, we've been bandying around this idea of the different hats you wear. And you guys have even made the point that every partnership is slightly different depending on who the people are and what they bring to the table. But are there some archetypes of different partnership roles within real estate? Like, are there some typical partner roles that we can lay out for people?
2: Yeah, I'd say there's like probably three big buckets of roles and responsibilities. You have acquisitions, you have operations, and then you have like finance slash admin, right? On the acquisition side, depending on what type of real estate investment that you're doing. But let's um let's let's say for example that we're just talking about a, a traditional long-term rental. On the acquisition side, someone has to go out and actually find the potential property that you're you're going to purchase. That could be networking with real estate agents. It could be working with, with real estate wholesalers. It could be going direct to seller yourself. Maybe you're walking around the, the neighborhood knocking on doors and sending out postcards. But someone has to find the actual deal. Once the deal is found, someone has to make sure that you know we go from contract to actual closing. A lot of times you might get a deal under contract, but you don't close for one reason or another. Someone's got to manage that process. And then once the deal is closed, someone has to take that property from whatever state it's currently in to a state where it's generating revenue, and that's usually going to be the person that's on the operational side. Let's say that this property that you found was a distressed property, meaning you know it's built in the 1970s, hasn't been updated since then. There's green carpet and you know wallpaper that looks you know whatever, super outdated type of property. Someone's got to manage the rehab. And then once the rehab is completed, someone's got to go out and find the tenants. And once the tenants are in there, someone's got to manage those tenants on a daily basis. So the the big buckets there are kind of the acquisitions and the operations. And then the the admin side is just the part that people don't think enough about, but that becomes incredibly important around tax time. But it's like, okay, who's going to manage the books for us? Who's going to make sure that all these expenses are being managed appropriately? Who's going to review the P Ls to see like why the heck are we spending four hundred dollars a month on electricity when all of our other properties are at one hundred and fifty dollars per month? So someone needs to keep an eye on the books to make sure that things are moving in the right direction. So I'd say acquisitions, operations, and the finance slash admin are, are two of the biggest or three of the biggest buckets to focus on.
1: So Ashley, I'm listening to you and I'm being convinced. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Having a partner can be really helpful, but how do I go about finding a good partner?
0: Yeah, so my first partner was my childhood friend. My second one was my sister. And then my next one was actually a friend That's she started dating a guy and he had one rental property. And so we would talk real estate for about a year. And then we partnered then my brother was a partner, and then my current partner, we probably talked about real estate for six months before we actually partnered on a deal. So I think first thing, talking to anyone and everyone about real estate. like That is a very common theme in at least least my history of partnering with people. Uh, Attending local meetups, so you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Sitting down and making a list of just people off the top of your head who you think have what you don't have. So even before doing that, you're going to want to figure out what your strengths are, what you're bringing to the table, and what your weaknesses are. So where you need help, why you want a partner. And then from there, kind of make a list of like, okay, I know that I don't have time to do this. Well, I have this friend that I know has the time and also, you know, Maybe they are a real estate agent or something like that, where they can go and help you find deals. You you know, they already have some kind of knowledge of real estate, Um, family members, anything like that. You're just creating a list. And then to actually approach a person, whether it's someone you've talked to at a meetup, you want to build some kind of connection before actually going up to someone and saying, Hey, do you want to partner on a deal? And then when you approach someone, Brandon Turner gave me this advice is to not just go and hey do you want to partner on this deal with me instead of being do you know anyone who would be interested in doing a real estate deal or you know whatever it is that you want to be asking and this kind of takes the confrontation off asking them directly and but it also puts that thought into their brain like hmm maybe actually I am or they may say yeah actually I do know somebody who's just talking about they really want to get into real estate they don't know where to start whatever that may be so those are just some of the things you can start off, but just surrounding yourself with like-minded people and talking about real estate.
2: Yeah. I I, I think the only thing I'd add, and Ash, we talk about this all the time on The Rookie Show, is being vocal about sharing your journey. I think so many new investors are hesitant for one reason or another to share this, this real estate journey that they're going on. But a lot of folks, they have this imposter syndrome where they're like, oh man, I haven't even really done anything yet. Who am I to talk about real estate investing or share this idea or share this nugget? When in reality, all you have to do is share people or share with people the things that you're learning as you're learning them. So say that you're reading, say you pick up a, a copy of the partnership book and you're like, oh man, I just read chapter whatever, three, and I learned about how to find a partner. You can turn around and go to your Instagram or your TikTok or to wherever and say, hey guys, I just read this in this book and here's what I'm gonna do because of this. Very simple thing for you to do that, that's sharing your journey. And if you're consistent enough about talking about real estate on these different platforms, I can almost guarantee That someone who currently follows you is also thinking about investing in real estate, and you're going to get a message and say, man, Tony, I had no idea that you were thinking about investing in real estate. I've been reading books and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos too. We should chat sometime. And it's that simple action that leads to those small interactions that could eventually help you find your first partner. Because the goal is the more people that know you, that like you and trust you,
1: the more opportunities you have to
2: find the right partner.
1: Tony, do you have to like your partner? I mean, the truth of the matter is, when I got in with my medical partner, this is not a person I would have ever hung out with socially.
2: Yeah, I I think friendship and partnership are two slightly different ideas because we can make fantastic partners, right? But we necessarily wouldn't be maybe the the type of people that'll that'll get a beer together and, and go watch a basketball game. But if we have complementary skill sets and we can communicate well, and we are aligned with our vision, who cares if if we can't have a beer after work? If we if we complement each other, and we can achieve our business goals. I think that's what's most important. If anything, I think the opposite of that is more dangerous for people, where they focus on the friendship first and say, "Hey, we're incredibly good friends, so it, it must mean that we'll be incredible business partners as well." Which is totally one hundred percent not the case. So I think it's about finding someone that aligns with you and complements you as a business partner is is far more important than someone that that you can build a friendship with.
0: I also think too, that it also depends on what your roles are in the business. So if somebody is just the money partner and you literally talk to them the day you send them a deal and say like, Hey, do you want to partner in this? I'm going to give you 20% equity. And then it's actually going to be a flip house. And then when you flip the house and you sell it, you send them their proceeds from the flip. And so really you have two interactions with them. Then who cares if you have a personal relationship with them or talk to them? but also if you're working with someone side by side every single day i do think that it will take a toll on you if you can't stand the person in a sense so i think really thinking about what your your role and what your interactions are going to be with the person and one thing that we talk about in the book is like doing a disc profile on the person and you know really understanding their personality so even doing an enneagram and I think that can really help with the communication piece as to how to communicate. We also go on and talk about love languages as to how somebody perceives love and how they show love and how that can actually make a difference, not only in your love life, but also with people around you that, you know, if somebody's you know, love language is quality time, and you want to show your business partner that you appreciate them. So maybe that is taking them out for a beer, or if it's, you know, gifts that is their love language, then maybe it's like giving them a gift at the end of the quarter because you hit your numbers or whatever that may be. So I think really understanding your business partner and doing some of those tests together and giving each other results can definitely help formulate a good working communication, which is more important being able to communicate well together than having a personal, we have fun together relationship.
1: We are talking to Tony J Robinson and Ashley Care. They are the co-hosts of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie podcast and we are talking about partnerships both in real estate and out. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is Earn and Invest. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down, but the good news is After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? Tony J. Robinson and Ashley Kerr are the authors of Real Estate Partnerships Unlock the Unlimited Potential of Real Estate Investing by Finding the Right Partnerships to Fuel Your Success, which was available for pre-order on August 10th. Tony, you guys are the hosts of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. What are some of the rookie partnership mistakes people make?
2: Yeah, I I think we've alluded to a few of these rookie partnership mistakes already, but I'll, I'll try and consolidate them here. I think the first and the biggest mistake that rookies make is partnering for the wrong reason. You should be partnering with someone because they compliment you in some way, shape, or form. They either have access to capital that you don't have access to. They have time availability that you don't have. They have ability to find good deals. Like They should be complimenting you in some way what most people do is they say, hey, we are really good friends. I really enjoy spending time with you. Let's build a business together. And while sometimes that does work, you get into a situation where now because you guys are are friends, there's a good chance you're similar. So if you guys are both good in the same maybe three areas, that means your entire partnership is now lacking in these other five or six, seven areas. And now you might have to go find someone else or the partnership itself just won't be as effective. So I think the the first mistake that rookies make is partnering for the wrong reasons. You should be partnering to fill a gap. You should be partnering to fill a void, not necessarily just to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I think the second big mistake that rookies make when it comes to partnerships is is assuming that the other person can read your mind. You and your partner should be communicating on a regular basis about small issues, big issues, and and very importantly, long-term vision the The partnership that I had, part of the reason that we we ended that partnership was because there was a shift in terms of what we wanted out of the business moving forward and what the other person wanted out of the business moving forward. And you know I've, i I want to buy a billion dollars worth of real estate, and my partner wanted more of a lifestyle business. And those are at odds with each other. Like you can't get to a billion dollars without it being a bit of a grind every single day. So I think being aligned consistently on where you guys are going and what's happening. And just having the courage to have those difficult conversations as they pop up, I think there's a natural tendency for people to try and avoid difficult conversations and just kind of, you know stick their head in the ground and, and hope that things just magically fix themselves. But that is a recipe for disaster when you're working in a partnership with someone. So being aligned on the vision, but also having the courage to have those difficult conversations. I'd say if you can really focus on those two things, I think you're setting yourself up for the best chance to be to be successful.
1: And Ashley, once you're in a partnership, or even when you're forming that partnership, how do you protect yourself? Because I realized in my own partnerships, you really often don't know someone until you've been working with them for quite a while.
0: Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is having those exit strategies in your partnership agreement that, for example, you know, put a, a time limit. On what that you know is so Tony does five years for his mm-hmm. partnerships and his joint venture agreements. That five years, if one partner wants to sell the property, they sell the property, or the other one can buy them out, or they can continue on their partnership. So you can do something like that. Put the time stamp on it. I think the biggest thing though is to not tie yourself down to someone. Is do one deal at a time and kind of date the person. So, don't go ahead and open up this LLC right away and say, okay, from today on, any property that either of us buys, we're partners, we're 50 50 for anything we ever do, real estate investing. Instead, say, hey, let's take it one deal at a time. Here's this one deal we're going to do together. Here's what everyone's roles and responsibilities are going to be. And then another thing that I see come up a lot is it's not fair because this person isn't doing this anymore, or like that going back and forth as to what's fair, what's not fair. So one way to kind of eliminate that is to sit down and figure out what your roles and responsibilities are. So say that I'm going to be doing the bookkeeping and Tony is going to be doing the maintenance, something like that. That's what our job rules are in our business. And I decide one day, you know what, I don't want to do the bookkeeping anymore. Well, then we have to go and hire a bookkeeper. And now that's more money coming out of the business. And Tony says, well, that's not fair. We're 50-50 partners. I'm still doing the maintenance. You don't have to do anything now. And we're paying someone to do what you were doing. So one way to kind of eliminate that is set dollar amounts for roles that you are doing in the business. So we could have started the partnership saying, okay, Ashley, you're getting $100 per month for bookkeeping. Tony is going to get paid $40 an hour for any maintenance. Then after that is paid out, we will go ahead and split what's left of the cash flow 50-50. So then if I do decide, you know what, I don't want to do the bookkeeping anymore, there's that hundred dollars already to go and pay someone else to do the bookkeeping.
2: You know, Ashley, you mentioned the the dating piece. And I just want to expand on that a little bit because I think it's it's a super important concept you know like like you said doc like sometimes you don't know someone really until you've gotten into a partnership with them so the goal is to test the waters the the goal is to hopefully start small but you can do that in two ways you can either do it with the amount of capital that you're investing or with with time with the the duration of the actual partnership so an example on the capital side instead of us going out and buying a 4 million dollar apartment complex as our very first deal what if we go out and we buy a you know seventy five thousand dollar property somewhere in the Midwest? It's a very small capital investment for both of us. If things go haywire, we're out twenty percent on seventy five thousand, split between two people. I can probably stomach that if this deal doesn't work out the right way. So that's the the first way is capital. The second way to date someone is with duration. So again, instead of us going out and buying a property that maybe has a thirty year fixed mortgage, what if we go out and we we flip a property together or we do a wholesale property a wholesale deal together where we're in and out in maybe ninety days you know, 120 days. So that way, if during that, that time frame, those three or four months, I realize, eh, I don't really like working with Tony. You know, he's kind of a jerk or I don't really like how he does this. I'm only with him for 90 days and not 30 years. So the capital investment and the time duration are two levers to kind of pull to try and quote unquote date someone before you get into a long-term partnership.
0: The last thing I would add to is having control and access to, in the partnership is to mm-hmm make sure that you do have access to everything and so that every partner can see what exactly is going on at the business so you have access to the bank accounts you're a signer on the bank account you get copies of the bank statements you have access to any of the software things like that so as one of the partners you're always keeping your pulse on things and then it's you know if things are going downhill you're still able to have control over things and to still visually see what's going on inside the business
1: too. Tony, a lot of what we were just talking about was setting up good partnerships in the first place, but as we know the years pass and people change, how do we know when it's time to leave a partnership? Are there some kind of key signs?
2: So this goes back to the communication piece about you and your partner kind of keeping open lines of communication. And while you should have conversations up front about, hey, where do you see this partnership going? There should also be a regular cadence to make sure, hey, are we still rowing in the same direction? So you could do this quarterly. You could do it annually. My partners and I, we we did it on an annual basis and it was actually at our last annual meeting where we kind of, the light bulb kind of went off to say, man, are we really moving in the right direction anymore? So I think setting up some kind of regular cadence to re-review the roadmap you initially set out to make sure you guys still want to go down that same road. And if you see that there's kind of differences and like, man, I I thought this is what I wanted initially, but I kind of see this is what what this person wants. That's a, a telltale sign. So like I said, in our example, and that partnership, I wanted to aggressively grow the real estate business. I wanted to get to a billion dollars, right? And that's a, a massive goal. And the partner that I had at the time they actually wanted to kind of slow things down so they could focus on a, on a different business that they were growing. Those are two totally different perspectives and, and goals. And I I think as soon as you see that misalignment, that's when it, it's a sign that, that you and that person should maybe stop working together. I think the second thing to look for, to say like, man, are, are we still a good partnership? And this kind of goes back to what you said earlier of like, do we still enjoy working with each other? And it, not necessarily like, have we become best friends? But like, like Ashley said, like, do I... Do I cringe a little bit every time I see your phone, <laughs> your, your, <laughs> you know, your name on my phone? And, and if that's the case, and there's a sign that, that maybe this isn't the person either. I can give you another example about a partnership that we that we ended almost before it even started. But I'd entered into a partnership with someone. I'd actually already done a deal with him before. So we talked about the whole dating thing. We had dated before and it, and it went well. We had another deal that we did together. And throughout that entire deal... I just, you know, I I was the person in charge of managing the 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 rehab. Like I was the the boots on the ground person in this partnership. And I just kind of felt that second go-round almost more like like an employee than a partner. Like I felt like I was reporting to them and, and not necessarily we were doing it together. And that's, you know, I didn't I didn't leave my job to become an employee for, for someone else. I left my job because I wanted to build my own thing. So it, it wasn't necessarily that they were doing anything wrong, but just the way we had set that partnership up kind of put me in that position. So once we finished the rehab, the goal was for us to partner in this property long-term. And I just, I had a, a very frank conversation. I said, guys, you know, really appreciate you as people, but I, I'm just not sure that this is the right partnership for me anymore. And I think it's time for us to step away. So if you feel either of those things, like a misalignment, or you're just not really enjoying the work that you're putting in or the work that you're getting back. I think those are all great signs to potentially step away.
1: Ashley, I feel like we've been using the dating metaphor so much that I have to ask when it comes to partnerships, monogamy or polyamory, which way is the way to go?
0: <laughs> well, I'm definitely poly. So <laughs> I have my three main business partners. And what I do is they all know about each other. And (laughs) when I have a deal come up, so I'm... None of my partners have ever brought me a deal. I'm always the one to find the deal. So I look at the deal and I say, what do I need for this deal? And then I look at my partners and be like, who right now has what I need And then I will present it to my partner. And if they want to partner partner on it, okay, good. If they don't, then I'll take it to another partner. But that's kind of how I handle my partnerships. And they're all good with that. They're all thankful to invest with me when it's a good opportunity. And they also trust that when I'm bringing them a deal, that it's because it's a good fit for them and me. It's not just because they're my only option too.
1: Tony Monogamy or polyamory,
2: yeah. i'm I'm with Ashley here. I was actually just pulling up right now, and you know, we've got nineteen different partners across our portfolio. So for and a lot a lot of those folks, i I didn't know, you know, before we we got into that partnership. So for us, it is about finding the right person for the right property and and kind of letting the partnership grow from there,
1: Ashley, I want to close this conversation. Looking at The Thousand-Foot View, your book is fantastic at giving us the details of the why and the how to partner within real estate. But let's get a little personal here. Tell me about how partnerships have changed your financial trajectory.
0: Yeah. So that first deal I did, I did 50-50 as said the equity split. And the capital that was actually put into the deal that person, that partner was paid back a principal and interest payment every month. So they were making five and a half percent plus their principal payment back, and then 50% of the cash flow on the property, and then 50% of whatever equity, you know, was built up in the property. So they made out very well on that deal. And today I wouldn't do a deal like that again. I, you know, I value myself higher than that, but. It was, it got me, got my foot in the door. It got, you know, that first deal done. And then from there, it just propelled me. I don't know how long it would have taken me to actually have the courage and to save up the money or to learn how to do creative financing or different ways to purchase properties. So I definitely don't think that I would be where I am today without partners. My, some of my best deals were done with partners.
2: And as you said, something that you know we, we've harped on a lot, but you said that I, I value myself more now today. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of rookie investors, when they're entering into a partnership, especially where they are the ones that are bringing the sweat equity, and the other person is the one bringing the capital, the person bringing the sweat equity dramatically undervalues the role that they're playing in that partnership. The person that's bringing the capital, they sit down on the day of closing. Maybe they'll sign some papers, or probably just docu signing. So it's just a couple of clicks on on their on their mouse. Right after that, their work is done. The person that's bringing the sweat equity, they had to find the deal. Maybe they're managing the rehab. Maybe they're, they're managing the property long term. They're handling maintenance calls. They're dealing with tenant requests. The work that goes into actually running the property far exceeds the the work of the person bringing the capital. So I say that to say. If you are the person who is entering into the partnership, bringing the sweat equity, uh, bringing the sweat equity, don't undervalue what it is that you're bringing, in, and don't feel like you have to beg and and you know scrape for you know the the pennies here. Like, understand that you're pre- presenting a major opportunity to that other person. The, the last thing I'll say too, just because you asked a question, J- Jordan, about like how it changed your financial trajectory, partnerships. You know, I I, I went to partnerships almost out of desperation. I lost my job at the end of 2020, and you know I had this big nest egg of money that I was dumping into real estate. But once I lost my job, that became like our safety net to just kind of keep our our light the, the the lights on and the mortgage paid. So the only way that we were able to scale after I lost my job was through partnerships. So I was very you know intentional about trying to identify the right people to work with me, so I could continue to build this business, so I could buy more properties without W two income. So for me, it really was life-changing, I think, in a sense, to be able to understand how to leverage real estate partnerships the right way.
1: Well, Ashley and Tony, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What's clear after our conversation is whether we're talking about real estate or other businesses in general, partnerships can be the rocket fuel that fuels your engine that gets that rocket into the air and gets it moving towards the stratosphere. But just like analyzing a deal, it sounds like you have to also analyze that partnership and realize what not only you, but that partner brings to the table. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. Tony, I know what's up next in your life, which is the launch of this book. Tell us where we can get it and when it launches.
2: Yeah. So I got a copy of the book right here in my hand. So pretty cool to, to hold my first book uh, in my hand here. But it is the Real Estate Partnerships book from BiggerPockets. So if you guys go to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships, you guys can access all the details about the book there. Guys, if you're looking for a resource, it's going to give you tactical information. Ash and I try and do more than just give you theory. There's stories in there about us, about other investors, but it's really here to be both I think, inspirational, but also instructional about how to really get these partnerships set up. So we'd love to have you guys go check it out there. And then obviously, Ash and I co-host the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, Bigger Pockets. We drop episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. So if you are a, a new or aspiring investor, come hang out with us there. We'd love to connect with you. And last on Instagram, I'm at Tony J. Robinson.
0: And if you guys are interested in checking out the book at biggerpockets.com partnerships we do have a promo code for you guys to get a discount. You can either put in Tony or Ashley, Tony Shorters. You might want to use that one, but <laughs> you'll get a discount. And then I also have a book called Real Estate Rookie that is available. You can also find that on the Bigger Pockets bookstore, or you can find it at Barnes and Noble or on Amazon. And then my Instagram is at Wealth from Rentals.
1: The book is Real Estate Partnerships, Unlock the Unlimited Potential of Real Estate Investing by Finding the Right Partnerships to Fuel Your Success. Tony J. Robinson and Ashley Kerr, thank you for coming on Earn and Invest today.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you for having us. That's a wrap.
1: Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Our conversation today about real estate partnerships made me really think about my own real estate journey. As I've talked about before on Earn and Invest, I was a real estate investor. We started actually by buying a condo that we were going to use for our own pleasure in downtown Chicago, kind of like a city home. My kids were young, and my wife and I found this place right when the housing market was really, really, really poor after the aftermath of 2008. And we bought this condo, we remodeled it, we furnished it, and used it for about six to eight months, and then realized that the kids were just too young And then it was getting difficult to go there on the weekends. And our realtor mentioned that she had a friend who was looking to rent a condo in the city. Everything worked out perfectly, and we rented it to him. And a year or two into it, we had this stable renter who paid the bills. The bills covered everything we needed to cover. We had a little bit of money left over. We were cash flowing, and it hit me how easy being a landlord was. Now, I hadn't gone into it as a major plan for an investment, it just happened to work out that way, but my wife and I started looking at other condos in the area, and we found one that was in foreclosure, we bought it, we remodeled it, we rented it, and all of a sudden, we were the owners of two doors. Eventually, we went looking for a lake house in Wisconsin, a good hour from where we live in Evanston, Illinois. We found one in foreclosure. We remodeled it. We decided we didn't want to use it yet, so we rented it, which ended up not just being one year, but multiple years. It increased in value greatly. We sold it and then took that money and did a 1031 exchange and bought a few more condos in the city. So we topped out at four properties, and then I was obviously managing our own property, the house we lived in. And I did see the benefits of real estate. We had regular cash flow. This was an asset that was not correlated with the stock market. So the stock market could go up, the stock market could go down, but as long as I had renters in my units, I was making money on them regularly. But I have to admit, it was a little bit of a pain. I would go weeks and weeks, sometimes even months, without having to do any work on the condos, and then all of a sudden there would be a problem One of the things that I noticed is a lot of the people who rented our units just didn't have much common sense. So they would call us for all sorts of problems. I would show up to come fix the problem and realize it was something as easy as flicking a switch or plugging something in. People just didn't understand how homes worked or how the appliances in those homes worked. So I found myself very, very busy, and then we had a series of much more significant problems that I had very little control over. I had a unit in a high-rise, and someone had got a cockroach infestation above us, and it eventually became a problem in our unit. The condo association paid for multiple levels of treatment, but it took a good 6 to 12 months for it to finally go away. All the while, I had renters in the unit, and they were obviously not very happy. At the same time... The facade had to be worked on. The city had come in and said that some of the outside of the building didn't meet code, which started a whole year's worth of renovations that was exceedingly loud and cumbersome during normal business hours, of course, and this ended up being right in the middle of COVID when everyone had to work from home. So again, my tenants had to deal with working from home in a very loud environment with cockroaches. And that was just one of my four units. I ended up having similar issues in my other units. Eventually, I put up the white flag. I realized that I didn't like spending my time doing this work, managing the condos, even if I was making money from them. And I didn't want to spend the time hiring a manager and then having to manage the property manager. So I sold them all. I Definitely made some profit on them, and I paid the taxes, which of course was painful. But I was ready to be out of real estate. Now imagine, I was ready to be out of real estate, and I have no interest in doing real estate again. On the other hand, it is very clear to me, especially if you do not have much money to start with, real estate is one of the most powerful investments there is because you can use leverage to turn almost nothing into something. Real estate is very, very valuable for people, especially at the beginning of their financial independence journey. But I'll tell you the truth. I have no interest ever doing it again. All right. I leave things running. We have just a few minutes before you guys have to get off. I leave it running as the after show. So I usually include this after everything's closed up. Anything we didn't talk about about the book that you really wish I asked you about or that you want to make sure gets out there?
0: I would say say that we actually put in towards the end of the book, we did like some, you know, clauses you should put into your partnership agreement. That's not often Mm -hmm. talked about as to getting life insurance policies on each other um having a buy sell agreement like figuring out what's going to you know if one partner wants to buy out the other what's going to be the the price of that purchase are you going to go off appraisals are you having some kind of formula in there to value the properties to to buy someone out so just different things that you should have in your partnership agreement we have it in the book
1: yeah, as you guys know, it's hard. Like, I want to give a good overview of the book, but I don't want to get too much in the weeds during the main episode just because, yeah. obviously, we lose people that way, and I want them to have a good reason to go buy it. There was so much good information in this book. I mean, we didn't... Sure. We I, I tried to get the main ideas there, but I couldn't go into the wonderful details that that you guys put in the book, and I think it would be really, really helpful to anyone even considering a partnership. I, 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 as you were mentioning, Ashley, for instance, I thought that chapter was fantastic. and just brought about stuff that I agree people just don't think about right so I've I've had my own business partnerships I guess if you include my wife I've had my own real estate partnerships Mm -hmm. um and a lot of what was in the book definitely made me much more thoughtful about how I probably should have gone about some of these things and and would definitely be a great resource for resource for anyone who's like at the beginning of their journey Mm.
0: Well, thank you. We really yeah, appreciate priceless. that feedback. Yeah, I mean, so not much. a ton of people have been able to read the book yet, so it's very interesting. And thank you so much for your yeah. Kind
1: thank words. you for the kind words. And, and I also felt it was very generalizable. So again, you guys were very concrete on how this relates to real estate, but there are just so many good points you could take to any business. And yeah. I always try to bring that out in my podcast because not everyone who's listening is really a real estate person, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that there was so much there that that you could bring to any type of business. So, yeah, congratulations. Sure. Good luck. I, I enjoyed you. the book. It was a, it was an easy, fast read, but also packed with important stuff. Yeah. So I wish you the best of luck.
2: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China